0: Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as Directing Pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You're invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon.
1: Our scripture today comes from Hebrews 12 verses 1-4. through Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with the endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people that you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not given your lives in your struggle against sin. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: In dying, Christ destroyed our death. In rising, Christ restored our life. Christ will come again in glory. As in baptism these saints put on Christ, so in Christ may they be clothed with glory. Here and now, friends, we are God's children. What we shall be has not yet been revealed, but we know that when Jesus appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Those who have this hope purify themselves as Christ is pure. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yet shall they live, and those who live and believe in me shall never die. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. I died, and behold, I am alive for, forevermore. I hold the keys of hell and of death. Because I live, you shall live also. Friends, we connect today to praise God and to witness to our faith as we celebrate the life of these saints. We may come together in grief, acknowledging our human loss. May God grant us grace that in pain we may find comfort, in sorrow hope, and in death resurrection. God, you've given order to this wonderful world. You know all things in earth and heaven. Give us such faith that by day and by night, at all times and in all places, we may without fear commit ourselves and those dear to us to your never-failing love in this life and in the life to come. Through Christ we pray. Amen. If you hadn't recognized it yet, those are some of the common words shared at the beginning of many Methodist funeral services. We're going to share some words of invitation, of comfort, and we'll hear words of promise from our God and remember the lives of those who remain in our heart, but they're gone from this life. Since All Saints Sunday last year, we've said goodbye to a number of people who remain in our hearts who have been connected with this congregation. We remember Genevieve Schneider, the beloved mother and grandmother who danced with her husband Melvin because Melvin loved to dance. She kept many rental units and learned how to do a lot of maintenance that women of her era didn't typically learn. She loved the Lord and lived by the golden rule. We remember Charlie Woodward, an army veteran and steelworker who loved to boat and garden and camp. We remember Sandy Klopfer. She was a preacher's daughter, an award-winning singer in her school who drove a Camaro as her first car and who traveled the nation and spoke her mind. We remember Wayne Peck, who was a social worker at Menard Prison, then Alt Mental Health. He was a masterful donut chef and a world traveler. He also loved jack-in-the-box egg rolls and wouldn't tell us when he was informed by his doctor he wasn't supposed to have them anymore. Kathy Herring was once the Grand Bethel of her Masonic temple. She loved to scuba dive. She rocked out to Sammy Hagar, and she loved to care for people. Lynn Heidegger Brown was the daughter of an FBI agent, a singer, and eventually an English instructor at SIUE and a champion of learning for the Department of Continuing Education. She loved classical guitar and she set foot on all seven continents. Alice Murray was quick to make you smile with a joke or a word puzzle. She was a pen pal for a lot of soldiers during World War II, but the one she married would jump over four stools at the local lunch counter when he first saw her again once he got home. She was an impressive bowler who was just one frame shy away from a perfect game. She always had donations to share with visitors when we came to see her so that the people with Winter Patrol would have something to share. Rich Roger grew up dirt poor and hitched rides to Silver Creek to go fishing with his brothers. He was a prankster, a Purple Heart recipient for his courageous service in the Navy, a barbershop singer, a Mensa member, and almost a contestant on Jeopardy. Reverend Martha Hurrell started playing piano in church as young as eight years old. She taught school, sold real estate, and very effectively sold insurance, but she pursued her calling into ordained ministry at the age of 55, and her presence was like a safe space for people who needed to know Christ's love. Luther Statler was an Eagle Scout and a Ph.D. He served in Korea as part of the 6th Artillery. He was an avid camper and an upcycler, and I could count on him being at a table with Charlene and a number of the church ladies in the Fellowship Hall on Sunday morning. Nearly everyone. Woody Whitrock loved to motorcycle, even if his first ride on a borrowed bike put him right into a barbed wire fence. He enlisted in the Air Force during Vietnam and ended up serving in Alaska. He was a construction engineer, a woodworker, fisherman, and loved drinking coffee with his friends at McDonald's. And Reese Plikibom called people every single day. Even when he had barely enough breath for himself, he would call our homebound folks. He was a loyal worker for the phone company, ran a tight church kitchen, kept the mowing crew working like a well-oiled machine, and gave people a wonderfully hard time while helping them without hesitation. I've tried to walk with and pray with many of you through losses in your life that maybe weren't directly tied to St. John's, but they're intricately enmeshed in your hearts can express how we're going to miss these saints. But the relationship we focus on today reminds us that those who we love have completed their journey of faith, and by the grace of God, their presence still lingers with us. And that leads us to our first lesson this morning. Through worship, we are connected with believers throughout time. Through worship, we are connected with believers throughout time. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. I've had the privilege of being in churches that date back to the third century when Constantine's mother Helena sought out some of the holiest sites that the tradition could identify in the Holy Land and had places of worship built there. The history and the connection with ancient traditions in those places is absolutely palpable. You can see layers of ruins leaving behind stories of conquest and natural disaster piled on top of one another like the rings of a tree marking its age. And each layer of history has a story to tell of those who have gone before. Some lived their lives of praise, separated and silent while willingly hidden away from the world. Others lived their lives courageously standing for Christ in the midst of a hostile culture that gladly ushered them to martyrdom. Some eras saw the church languish by neglect and disinterest, where the wind and elements simply overtook a structure until it would be rediscovered by a different generation of Christ followers. The structures of these places of worship leave us clues about the people who met with Jesus there. They leave behind artwork, artwork, mosaics, prayers, and poetry that continue to impact how we envision our God and the kingdom of heaven to this day. The fact is, had they not been faithful in passing on this faith, a Christianity that looks very different today than the one they would have known and practiced, if they had not been faithful in passing on this faith, we wouldn't be connected in any way this All Saints Sunday. In pointing us to this cloud of witnesses, the unnamed author of Hebrews reminds us of the litany of flawed but faithful humans who lived for their God and gave evidence of the faithfulness of the Lord of Israel. Their lives became testaments of the power, goodness, and steadfast love of the God made known to us through Jesus Christ. From Abel to Enoch, to Noah, to Abraham, to Sarah, to Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. This list of forebears includes the revered prophet Moses, the prostitute Rahab, those who judged Israel before they were kings. The author declares that God's providence through their faith is evidence of what we hope for and proof of what we don't yet see. Look at these saints, we're told. They linger with us, we are their legacy. Their presence is seen not only in the memories they leave behind, but in the continued inspiration as the Holy Spirit encourages and bolsters us in faith through their lives and stories. But this same passage also tells us that sin and distractions will try to draw our eyes away from our purpose. We look at the high calling of living a set-apart life for God, and we sometimes imagine it to be too difficult. We see the ways that our faith might interfere with our so-called real life and choose to prioritize other demands and desires instead. We're clearly not the only ones to face that kind of temptation since this message offered to the Hebrews first before 70 A.D. This difficulty has clearly been around for a while and has been addressed for nearly 2,000 years. So when we start to think the things of our inherited faith are too tough, too trivial, we're invited to look the saints. Those who have pursued the life of following after Christ and found God's incredible faithfulness evident in their lives. And when we hear the stories of faith from scripture or when we look around the room or even lately look around the comment section to see others who are seeking after Jesus and when we remember our loved ones when they enter into eternity. If we're mindful of the presence of these saints Living and past, God will use their lives to inspire us, to build us up. We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Their lives are designed to do just that. Our second lesson this morning is this. The cloud ultimately connects us to Jesus and his sacrifice. The cloud ultimately connects us to Jesus and his sacrifice. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. We don't always do this in the Armstrong household like some families do, but last year during that week between Christmas and New Year's, we set out a puzzle on a table downstairs. It was a super helpful distraction to serve as a bit of a mental sorbet during that very busy time with the big Christmas build-up and then crash. I'd like to think that it was probably about a 500-piece puzzle, so unfortunately I count like a pastor. I don't know exactly. It could have been 100. Anyhow, it was a variety of scenes from New York City. The Brooklyn Bridge, Statue of Liberty, tall buildings, some Broadway dancers, a marquee, fireworks, some iconic sights. Of all of us, I think I'm the one who obsessed over finishing the puzzle most. So I spent a lot of time staring at the big picture on the box of that puzzle, trying to figure out where the pieces might frame the image and how those pieces might group together inside based solely on their... If I, if I tried to guess where things went based on their shapes, the jagged puzzle pieces, I'd probably still be working on that puzzle today or I'd have to just walk away from it. I needed the image of that finished product to help me know what I was working towards if I was going to make progress. The picture on the box provided me with exactly that guide until the pieces all went together. The picture made from all those confusing pieces eventually looked like the one that was clearly printed on the box. Did you ever think that our life has a picture printed on the box? And that sometimes the puzzle pieces may just look like a bunch of confusing, random, jagged edges because we don't know what that big picture is supposed to look like. We have a hard time trying to figure out what the boundaries are or how to start, sort things by patterns, because unless we see the goal, those individual parts may not make a whole lot of sense. It's one of the many places in Scripture where that image is revealed to us. The picture on the box of our lives is Jesus Christ, and particularly Jesus Christ crucified. That's different from a lot of what we're sold to make sense of this life, isn't it? I suppose that explained partly by the difference between those who want to make a profit off of you and the one who wants you to experience the greatest depths of love accessible in this life and beyond. The image we're shown by those who want to profit off of us envisions us surrounded by the fanciest things that money can buy and that work, thrift, and inheritance can gain. And there's nothing wrong with having things as long as you hold those things loosely and those things don't hold tightly to you. The only way to know is to imagine what we're unwilling to hand over to God should God ask it of us, and that might be worth a prayerful conversation with the Lord. There are plenty of puzzle pieces that don't fit into that worldly image. Pieces that look like sadness, pieces that look like suffering, pieces that look like dependence upon others. Puzzle pieces that look like fight and struggle instead of ease and convenience. And if we're trying to make those pieces fit sensibly into the image of wealth and comfort, we'll find that a lot of them simply don't fit. And that may absolutely confound us. Now, the image we're given by the one who wants us to experience love's greatest riches for now and for eternity, that's the picture of Christ and the ultimate act of sacrificial love. And so when the pieces of the puzzle of our lives look like sorrow, that also looks an awful lot like the pierced brow of Jesus. When we have pieces that look like suffering, it resembles the nail-scarred hands and feet. We have puzzle pieces that look like heartbreak in our lives. You can see how that might fit in perfectly with Jesus' spear-pierced side. And when we experience love and joy and blessing, we might envision how that fits into the eye of Christ that was picturing us safeguarded against the sting of sin, shame, and death because of what he endured for us. So we see to where these saints point. We fix our eyes on Jesus. Those believers who have gone before us have lived their faith in this life by the grace of God. And their memories direct us to that ultimate goal of being remade into the image of Jesus Christ. Our third lesson this morning is this. These witnesses inspire us to persevere in love and holiness. These witnesses inspire us to persevere in love and holiness. Think of all the hostility Jesus endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. When I was a very new Christian, I remember when a gentleman in the church named John Ellis passed away. He was always incredibly friendly and cared about people in ways that I didn't always associate with the church of my upbringing. John was successful in business, but he was also one of those guys who did a little bit of everything in the church. He had been on and led nearly every board or committee. He played softball in the church league, and even though he and I were probably on the same not-so-good skill level, he loved having John on the team because he was a constant cheerleader. It was the first time I can remember the experience of a church feeling a profound sense of loss because of the death of a member. He left holes in some some key positions, certainly, but he also left a void in many of our hearts because so many of us associated the warmth of this congregation with his presence. And I remember the Sunday after John's death when it was announced in the church and how it caused a sadness to fall over the congregation. But the pastor shared something I'll never forget. He asked us to imagine John's legacy. His shoes were too big for one person to fill, but that's not how John should be remembered. John wasn't a giant or a superhero. He was a man with limitations and faults, just like the rest of us, who prioritized others by serving the Lord through the church he loved. The sadness we felt in our hearts would not easily vanish. But if we wanted to honor John, that meant that a new generation would need to step up not superhumans, not giants, limited and faulty people who prioritized loving others and serving the Lord through the church. And a part of me that was still on the sidelines about becoming more involved in my faith came off the fence that day and became more deeply committed. Not to replace John, that wasn't possible. Not to build his legacy or to build mine was because I wanted to help others experience the warmth that I had come to know because this good man was a part of the church. That determination didn't erase the other obligations or demands on my time, but it did reshape my priorities and probably still does some 15 years later. These people that we named today through the lighting of candles, those who we name in our hearts, in our eyes, they may be superhuman in some ways. Really, they're people like us We chose to love and serve in ways that create a ripple effect through generations. How do we honor them? We can't replace them. But maybe we can continue the work that they poured themselves into. Maybe it's a moment for us to think about that cloud of witnesses and what they've sacrificed so that we can know Christ's love. And maybe this is our moment to come off the fence, to step onto the field, and consider how we want our lives to point to Jesus when we someday become a part of that great cloud of witnesses. We'll all die from something, but maybe not all of us will have lived for something. But if we live to point people to the power of Jesus Christ... That power to forgive and restore and transform and encourage and save and love people now and eternally. That puzzle pieces come together so people today and for generations to come will see Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. Saints, it's what we are created for. Let's pray together. God, you have shared with us the life of your saints. Before they were ours, they are yours. For all that these saints have formed in our lives and for them which lives and grows in each of us for their lives that in your love will never end, we give you thanks. As now we offer these, your saints, back into your arms, comfort us in our loneliness, strengthen us in our weakness, and give us courage to face the future unafraid. Draw those who remain in this life closer to one another and make us faithful to serve one another and give us to know that peace and joy which is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. As we move now into our love feast, I invite you to make sure you have handy something to eat and something to drink. We're going to start with a word of thanks. We'll confess our sin, receive pardon. We'll say something specifically that we're thankful for, and then we'll enter into our closing song. Lord, thank you so much for this gift of your presence with us, for the light of your love that encourages and draws us on. And Lord, for the example that's been set before us by this incredible cloud of witnesses. We praise you for this in Jesus' name. Now I invite you to join in the confession that is on your screen. Almighty and all-loving God, through your Son, Jesus Christ, you have reconciled the world to yourself. Help us to now be reconciled with one another, so we can once again dwell in the warmth of your love. Inspire us with your Holy Spirit to put aside the covering of pride, and to put on Christ so we would forgive and be forgiven. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Scripture reminds us that if we confess our sin, he who is faithful and just will forgive us of sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so in the name of Jesus Christ, we receive that forgiveness. Each of us can take whatever it is that we have to eat, whatever it is that we have to drink, and before you eat what you have— take a moment to thank God for something in particular. And today I am thankful for the lives of those who have gone before those saints of the church that continue to shine Christ's light before us now. Now it's your turn. Let's share it together in this love feast.